0: Blessings, everyone. This is Dale. I thank you so much for joining with me today. I'll tell you what, let's continue looking and complete, really, the third chapter of First Thessalonians. I want to go back and just look at the whole thing uh, to where we can sort of see what it is that Paul was saying to these folks. He reiterated a couple of times that he wanted to know what was going on with him, and he couldn't endure it any longer. So he stayed behind in Athens, and he sent Timothy there, and he sent Timothy to do a couple of things, to strengthen and encourage them in the faith. And so as we get a complete understanding of this chapter, I want us to see that these are callings and these are roles that we have as believers. We are to strengthen one another. We're to encourage one another as to our faith. And then he spoke words to them uh, along the line of saying, Hey, don't let these afflictions disturb you that are happening. You know that while I was there, I told you in advance that this type of suffering would have come about. And I told you that we were destined for this. And it has come to pass, and you know it's come to pass. Now, was Paul speaking of himself alone and his entourage, or was he speaking to uh, those who were believers there and those who would be believers later on, or both? I think it's both. I think he was letting them know, hey, these afflictions are going to come against me, so don't be bummed out if you hear that things are happening to me, okay? But he's also letting them know that these trials and persecutions and afflictions would come against them, which he's already acknowledged in the first chapter. And so he said his greatest fear related to all this, and the reason he, he just couldn't endure it any longer, was he wanted to make sure that they were still in the faith, and that the tempter had not come, and tempted them away. And so he, he had received report back from Timothy. And in that report, he found that they were still standing in the faith. They were even more firm in the faith, that their faith in the proclamation of what God had done in their life was going throughout the entire region, and more and more and more people were believing because of what they were saying and because of what they had done. They had turned from idols of stone to the Most High God. And so he was so encouraged by that. He was so excited about that. And Paul uses a couple of terms for it. He says that he was comforted about them through their faith. He was comforted. And he said, this is the reason I live. This is the reason. It's because you are standing firm in the Lord. So let's pick it up with the ninth verse of the third chapter. And he says this, For what thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy With which we rejoice before our God on your account. (laughs) I'm reading from the New American Standard. And the New American Standard is a, a, a literal word for word type of translation, not just a thought for thought type, but it's more of a word for word. Therefore, every now and then it can get a little clunky in the English language when it's not that clunky in the original language. He's saying this. You know, what Thanks can, what can I give thanks to God about? How can I uh, give thanks to God for the joy that I get through you because of what you are doing on account of God? It's just amazing. He said, I'm just rejoicing in this. Now, verse 10, he says this, As we night and day keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face and may complete what is lacking in your faith. And he's actually asking that as a question. The idea is, this, he says, I would love to see you. I want to come back. I want to see you face to face. And I want to teach you more things. I want to show you more things that the Lord has shown me. This phrase, uh, complete what is lacking in your faith, you see Paul using it a couple times in Scripture. And it's not lacking from the point of view that they're not totally saved, that they have an inadequacies related to salvation. No, he's just saying, hey, I've got more I want to share with you. I've got more I want to teach you. I've got more that we all need to know about. So, the last three verses of uh, this chapter uh, is, is a bit of a doxology. And, and Paul does this quite often in, in these two letters, Thessalonians. They wrote to the Thessalonica. You uh, see these little points of praise. And again, as I've mentioned before, at the end of this chapter, there is a reference to the coming of the Lord. So, listen to this. Verse 11. Now, may our God and Father himself and Jesus our Lord direct our way to you, and may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people, just as we also do for you, so that he may establish your hearts without blame in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints." Yes, yeah, it's a three verse doxology right here, okay? So he's saying this, I'm asking that God would be the one that would direct our way to you. But then he asked for them that the Lord would increase within them and abound in love for one another. That they would increase and abound in love for one another. In the Lord, that the Lord would cause that. So often we do things uh, to try to increase a love for one another. Uh, Oh, you see it when churches seek to get together and to be ecumenical and to be unified and all this. I spoke about that many, many times in the past. That we don't have to try to be unified. If you're a true believer, by definition, we are unified. The scripture tells us not to break the unity, the scripture tells us to walk in the unity. It doesn't tell us to try to attain it. We, by definition, have it if we just simply seek to abide in the Lord and walk in the unity. Here he's saying, May the Lord cause you to increase. And abound in love for one another. but And that one another speaks to the true body of Christ, fellow believers. But not only them, but for all people. And he says, in the same way that we love you, may you love one another and love all people. All people, those outside of the faith that we're to love. And then he says this, that he may establish your hearts without blame in holiness before our God and Father at the coming. Of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. That's interesting because quite often people say, Well, you know, I'm a sinner saved by grace and I'll always be a sinner, and, you know, but I'm saved and that's okay. This is interesting because you see these little hints all through the scripture Sometimes it's, it's more than hints. The, the Lord tells us point blank where to live holy, where to walk holy. People say, Well, I can't do that. Well, no, in the flesh, you cannot. In your own mind, and your own flesh, and your own volition, you cannot be sinless. You cannot be perfect. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, you can stand firm in the faith. You can abide in the Lord. You can resist the evil one over and over and over. And you can live a life of holiness. People too often equate that with, with perfectionism. Thinking, okay, I'm perfect and there's no sin and there's nothing wrong with me. Well, no, that's not at all what's being said here. He's saying that the Lord will establish our hearts Without blame in holiness. And this is before God the Father. And at this, at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all of his saints. At the coming. So, he's speaking of the coming of the Lord Jesus with all of his saints. Now, exactly at what point in time did Paul have in mind? Because the whole thing of the coming of the Lord again, the parousia of the Lord, is an interesting thing. Because there's dozens and dozens and dozens, if not hundreds, of elements of that coming. Here he says he's coming with all his saints, with his holy ones. Sometimes the holy ones refers to the angels. Depends on the context. Sometimes he's referring to us. Depends on the context. More than likely, what he's talking about right here is the coming of the Lord when he comes with those that have died already, and he's about to unify them with their bodies. He's about to bring forth their dead bodies, the rapture. He will do that first, and then those of us that are still alive, he will rapture us. I think it's at that moment in time that he's talking. Well, if that be the moment in time that he's talking about, then we're still alive. And he's saying that the Lord may establish your hearts without blame and holiness at that time when he returns. In other words, you're walking in that holiness when the Lord returns. May you be faithful in that up to the point in time. And I think that's what he's called. I know that's what he's calling us to do, is to be holy from now on until we see him face to face. You know, to, to allow the Lord to establish our hearts in that way. And so these little things that he says at the end of the chapters right here, these are not just little throwaway lines. These are just not uh, uh, beautiful, poetic, pious platitudes. Okay, These are profound truths for us to live in. Let me read this. Uh, these last three verses or one sentence <laughs> as, as the pattern. Now, may our God and Father himself and Jesus our Lord direct our way to you. And may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people just as we also do for you, so that he may establish your hearts without blame and holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all of his saints. That is my prayer for each one of us. May it be something that we speak to one another. Again, I'm Dale, and I'll see you again next time. Goodbye.